Hello, one and all, and welcome to Film Fragments, a podcast where we take fragments of an actor, director, and genre and tell you our favorites from their catalog. My name is Brian Suffield. I am your host, and I'm very excited to welcome you guys to this week's episode of Film Fragments, where today we're going to be taking a look at our favorite film star and Oscar nominee, Kira Knightley. She does not have a new film coming out this week. Why are we doing an episode on her? Honestly, because there's nothing else to talk about right now. <laughs> so... Today, we're going to be taking a look at the career of Kira Knightley. I'm very excited to delve into her career, and I'm very excited to welcome today's guest. It is a returning guest. I am very, very thrilled to welcome back Nicole Ackman to Film Fragments. Hello, Nicole. Welcome back to the show. I am so excited to be back here, truly. Nicole, I am so excited to have you back onto the show. I cannot wait to delve into Kira Knightley with you. And before we, you know, talk about that i mean it's been a little over a year since you last mm-hmm. came on the show and we were talking a little bit about this off air but i want to pose a little fun question for you and everything uh can you tell me and the listeners what your favorite film of 2023 was Ooh, okay so my favorite film of 2023 was actually something that i first saw in 2022 i believe yeah at tiff and then had to wait forever for it to actually come out which is Emily by Frances O'Connor. It is a gorgeous period piece about Emily Bronte, but also about sisters, about being creative, about, you know, trying to be a woman, having a career and a woman in love at the same time. Uh, And it's got a brilliant performance by Emma Mackey at its center, uh, which is funny because my number two movie of the year is Barbie. So I said Emma Mackey movies only, please. No, that's great. Emily is a film that I want to check out. I've been wanting to check out ever since it premiered at TIFF in 2022. Yeah. And I just, I wasn't able to see it when it came out. And I just unfortunately forgot about it because there were so many movies that came out throughout the year. But it's oh definitely gosh, one yeah. that I would love to catch up on sometime soon. I love myself a period piece, which is very funny because we're about to talk about <laughs> an actor who's very big into yep. period pieces. Um, Cannot wait to do that. And speaking of our topic, Kira Knightley. <laughs> Um, you obviously have a love for actors who are very prominent in period pieces. And it's funny because the topic that you talked about last year when you came on the show involved an actor who actually worked with Kira Knightley. And that film's probably going to be talked about again in this episode. Just spoiler alert. (laughs) And I just want to ask you, why are you such a fan of Kira Knightley? And why do you think people have been fans of hers for a long time, she's been acting for a little over 20 years. She's been acting since she was a teenager. She's been a two-time Oscar nominee. And mm-hmm. she's someone who, while primarily known in the period piece realm, she has stepped outside and done some modern-day projects, which we talked a little bit about that <laughs> off-air as well. And I have oh. some thoughts on that. But starting off with the positive thoughts, what makes you such a fan of Kara Knightley? I have loved Kira Knightley ever since I was in like middle school. Um, she's one of the first actors that I really called my favorite actor, which, you know, so I think there is a nostalgia factor as well. When I was in like seventh and eighth grade, the movie that my my best friends and I would watch at our sleepovers was the 2005 Pride and Prejudice. And we would like recite her speeches as we were watching. And I think that obviously as someone who's very drawn to period pieces, as someone who, you know, is in the the history field for a career, uh, her being in a lot of them means that I I saw a lot of her movies. Um, 
I've seen not all of her filmography, but a, a fair bit of it. And I really like that, even though she clearly also has a love for period pieces, clearly casting directors think that's where she belongs. She's managed to also not just do the same thing over and over again. She's done a lot of different styles of films, a lot of different characters within those movies. Like you said, she's branched out. She's done you know, the rom-com, she's done the sci-fi, she's done the fantasy. Uh, and I think that she's had a really interesting career. I love that she's occasionally gone and done theater as well. She's been both uh, on the West End and on Broadway. Um, and I just, I think that she's someone who consistently gives great performances. Um, and, you know, I know a lot of people love to like make TikToks and stuff, making fun of the way that she talks and how she enunciates and everything. But there's something about her performances that just really do it for me. And, and I think that she is someone I'm really excited to see where she goes next because she reminds me a lot of a young Helena Bottom Carter, um, who also, you know, really made a career as a young woman doing period work and and book adaptations and the like, uh, and then sort of went into playing these like really fun out there characters as she got older. And I honestly, I'd love to see Kara go the same path. Yeah, I agree with you. I am also a fan of Kira Knightley. I do love how she commits to so many different kinds of roles. She doesn't stick to one specific thing. Obviously, like we both were saying, she is primarily known for doing period films and everything. But I do appreciate how every once in a while she will branch out to something different. And I also love that she does different kinds of genres too. I mean, you brought the fantasies and the rom-coms and the sci-fi films. She's even done some films involving music. She's done some horror films she's done some straight up comedies i do appreciate how she isn't someone who sticks to one thing she's essentially like a jack of all trades she does a lot of different things which i really appreciate and i've been a fan of her for a long time i mean for 20 years i've been in love yeah. with Kira knightley i could safely yeah. say that um Kira knightley and we'll talk about this when we get to a certain film but uh definitely one of my first celebrity crushes when i was younger for sure cannot deny that same even though i didn't recognize it for what it was at the time <laughs> <laughs> I, I i love her i think she's great and i also think she is kind of underappreciated i feel like there was a period where a lot of people would talk about Kira knightley and get excited whenever she would have a film coming out but now she's kind of been a little selective with her projects she does a few projects every so often but she's not as um on top of projects as she used to be, which I guess I could kind of appreciate to some extent that she is picky and she likes to be selective and make sure that she's working with a really good script or a good filmmaker or a great ensemble alongside her. But I do like her a lot. I'm very excited to delve into her catalog. I did say to you before that I unfortunately, <laughs> I mean, with how time is going nowadays, it's hard to keep yeah. track of what to watch and set aside time to watch things. As someone who has lot at least one movie every day, unfortunately, I've locked <laughs> very little Kira Knightley films in these last few weeks. But that being said, I'm pretty proud of my list. I say that now and then the end of the show happens and I'm like, God, this list sucks. But, you know, <laughs> hey, it is what it is. I'm excited to talk about Kira today. I cannot wait to rank her films with you. I'm so curious to see where you put some of these films, if any of them even make your top five. So I would just okay. say, without further ado, let's get into the list. So tell the listeners, what is your number five favorite Kira Knightley film of all time? 
Okay. Uh, this list was really hard to put together because I feel like my whole top five, any one of them, um, if someone brings it up, I'm like, oh, that's my favorite movie. Um, <laughs> so any of these, you know, there's some things on here that are lower that I feel like it's going to surprise some people. But my number five is the 2005 Joe Wright Pride and Prejudice. Um, my spoiler for my list is that the holy trinity of Joe Wright, Keira Knightley collaborations are all in my top five um, because I think that they're perfect. I think that Joe Wright has largely been at his best when working with Keira Knightley. I really was starting to worry that he was never going to reach those heights again until Cyrano came out. And I was like, oh, thank God he found another muse, you know, <laughs> like it's his partner, which it works. But I'll take it. Um, but I think that Pride and Prejudice is such a lovely, like, comfortable movie. It is definitely my comfort watch. It is the first thing I will put on whenever I'm sick um, or if I just, like, need to have something on in the background. Like I said, it used to be my, like, slumber party movie. Um, and the cast in it is incredible. I mean, you have Kira Knightley, Carrie Mulligan, Jenna Malone, Rosalind Pike, Donald Sutherland, Matthew McFadden, um... I'm Rupert Friend, uh, Tom Hollander, like the list just goes on and on. It is endlessly quotable. And I also think, while it's not the most, you know, book accurate adaptation of Pride and Prejudice, I think it is the one that captures the most of the spirit of the book. Um, and I love watching it, not just as a, you know, I think it's it's does a really good job of not just being a movie about romance, or just about sort of this class commentary that's happening. But it really is a movie about family and about sisters and about your relationship with your parents and, and all those things, which I think is really lovely. This is a humongous pass for me. Huge pass. <laughs> uh, I am shot this is number five, but I, I, I kind of figured that all three of um, Joe Wright's, uh, Kieran Knightley's yeah. <laughs> films were going to be in your list. So... Uh, my number five, I'm going to go with one of the uh, true story films on here. Actually, I think Ooh. this might be the only true story film that I have on the list. Uh, I'm going to go with The Imitation Game from 2014. Mm. I am a sucker for historical biopics. I mean, of course, period pieces, but this is not the similar kind of period piece to Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. This is very <laughs> much different. This is set during World War II, and it follows Alan Turin, who basically is one of the code breakers and everything. I don't want to go too much into it. It's been a long time since I've seen the movie, uh, breaking the um, Enigma code and everything. This was a huge mm -hmm. awards player back in 2014. Uh, Cumberbatch was nominated for a lot of awards, Cucumber Patch. And then <laughs> uh, Kira Knightley also was nominated for a lot of stuff. So when I think of this movie right away, I really think of it as the Benedict Cumberbatch show because th that really is what this movie is. But to talk about Kira Knightley, I thought she was a really lovely addition to this cast. I thought she was a great mm -hmm. partner in crime for Alan Turin. I thought she looked great as she always does in the movie. <laughs> but I also find this to be a unique way of presenting a biopic where it's also kind of a thriller in disguise where it's not following the conventional biopic tropes. It definitely focuses on elements of Alan Turing when he's younger, but it's not your typical cradle-to-grave story that we're used to seeing so much nowadays in Hollywood. And I really commend Morn and Tildum for this. It also 
is really cool to point out that Graham Moore, who wrote this, I believe this was his first writing credit. Mm -hmm. He won an Academy Award for this, which I think is really cool. Not This is not the script that I would have awarded in that category <laughs> that year. Uh, that was a really great year for film. I mean, so many incredible films. Some of my favorites of all time came out in 2014. Grand Budapest, Boyhood, Birdman, Whiplash, so many films to list. But The Imitation Game is a winner in my book. I love it to pieces. I love that Kira got nominated practically everywhere. I remember when it came out, a lot of people were like, why is she getting nominated for this? She didn't really do much. It's not the most showy performance in the world. I could recognize that. But I think it's a great companion performance to what Benedict Cumberbatch brought to his performance. He's fantastic in this. This isn't my favorite performance from him. I just want to point that out. But I like to hope that down the road, these two work together again because I mean Cumberbatch, similar to Kara Knightley, is someone that is pretty perfect to be in a period piece. Yeah. <laughs> but but the differences between the two of them, Cumberbatch works really well in modern day films compared to Kara Knightley. Yeah. And we'll talk about that again. This won't be the only time that that's brought up a discussion, but <laughs> I do really love the imitation game. It's one that I really am angry that I didn't get to rewatch in preparation for this because mm. I I went to Letterboxd, and the only time that I watched this movie was in January of 2015. So it's oh, been wow. almost 10 years since I've seen this. And Okay, yeah. Yeah, I was a big fan of it when it came out. And I'm sure if I watched it now, I would still appreciate it just as much as yeah. I did a decade ago. So The Imitation Game is my number five. Are you going to pass, or is this not on your list? I, this is not on my list. Um, I am an Imitation Game hater. Um, but, but I will defend the performances in this movie, like till the cows come home. Um, I, whenever MVP did our like 2015 retrospective a couple of years ago, uh, there was a lot of conversation around the whole, like, why is Kira nominated for this? Why did, you know, why did she get so much hype for this? And I was like, no, y'all, she's giving a very good performance and a performance that I think is sort of needed to ground the performance that Benedict Cumberbatch is giving in this movie. Um, I have some issues with the way that they portray the history in the film. Again, it's one of those things where I just know too much about Turing. Um, and But I, I really do like Kira in it. And like you said, I also really appreciate that it's it is a period piece, but it's a very different type of period piece than than we sort of associate with the genre exactly exactly and that's an interesting point to bring up too because i'm not as well-rounded with the history <laughs> and the story behind this obviously you look at it in a different lens which is totally understandable um yeah. similar to how you brought up when talking about pride and prejudice of how it may not be the most proper adaptation of that mm -hmm. source material i can't comment because I don't I, I don't read shit, so you know I, I can't comment if it's faithful or unfaithful or what have you. But Brian doesn't know how to read. I'm starting the rumor here. <laughs> Jesus, don't compare me to Leah Michelle. <laughs> oh, I would oh never. my god. I would never. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so now going into our number four is what is your pick? Okay. Um my number four is Another Joe Wright, Kira Knightley collaboration. Everyone is shocked. Uh, my number four is Atonement. Um, another 
you know, great literary adaptation. I think what's so interesting is the fact that Atonement really is, you know, Bryony's story, like Saoirse Ronan's, you know, character and then later Romola Gare's character. Uh, and yet I feel like everyone, when they think of Atonement, they think of Keira Knightley in that green dress, right? Like that's, that's what we all think of, right? Yeah. Um, Keira Knightley in that green dress truly like redid something in my brain. Um, <laughs> I really like what she does in this movie. I think that she does a lot of very subtle acting in this movie. Um, her and James McAvoy have insane chemistry. Uh, right, like that scene in the library, like it unlocked something in a lot of us, I think. Um, but I, I really like, uh, you know, how she's playing this character. I think that it's such a tragic story and a lot of that tragedy, though, is in the emotion that we get from her, even when she's not speaking. I think she's an actress who's very good at sort of acting through physicality um, and acting through facial expressions and, and sort of subtle changes and things. And um, another actually Benedict Cumberbatch, Keira Knightley collaboration as well. Um, I always forget that he's in this movie until I watch it again. And I'm like, wow, there he is. Uh, <laughs> I, I'd like to clarify, I'm not just scared by Benedict Cumberbatch, it's because he plays a rather nasty fellow. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love Atonement. I think it's it's a pretty close to perfect film, but unfortunately, there are three movies that I love more. So it, it does not have a great re like rewatchability factor um, because I need like three to six business days afterwards to recover, so... Well, I need 10 business days to recover, which means I'm going to pass on this film as well. Okay, okay. <laughs> um, cannot wait to talk about it. Um, it's so funny when you were bringing up the reaction you make when you see Cumberbatch. She did the exact same thing last year when we recorded our Saoirse Ronan discussion. You're like, oh, I see Benedict Cumberbatch in this. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> yep. No, every time I'm like, oh, shit, he's here. That's right. Like playing like the worst person ever. I mean, not ever, but no, <laughs> he, he, he's pretty close to scumbag in that movie. Yeah. Right. So, so number four for me, I'm going to talk about, and I'm very excited to talk about this because I've never talked about these films on the podcast before. Oh, okay. Okay. So <laughs> I knew that making a Kira Knightley list, I couldn't not include a Pirates of the Caribbean film on the list. Like there's just no denying how, good those first three films are and how good she's in how good she is in them so i'm gonna go with the first one i'm gonna go with the curse of the black pearl as my number four um i feel like elizabeth swan doesn't do as much here as she does in the later films i'll be the first to admit that i did a rewatch of all these films in the last few days and i hadn't seen them since the last one came out mm. about seven years ago which is nuts to even comprehend that's been that long yeah. since the last one came out the last one that w we never talk about because it was so terrible um what movie exactly <laughs> exactly there's only three and if anyone says that there's four or five they're wrong there's only three <laughs> um so as a kid i loved watching these films like on loop i just thought they were so exciting like being like a six seven year old 
how old was I when the first one came out? I was five. I did my math. My math was wrong. Um, being a little kid watching this when it came out was just so exciting. Like this was so cool to see like a movie, a live action movie about pirates being pirates and it was so cool and obviously it's goofy it's over the top it's not faithful to the pirates and everything like of course like we don't know what the pirates were like because we weren't there when the pirates were a thing so um but there's something so exciting and enthralling and pretty refreshing about these movies especially this first one to where this was a massive 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 gamble for disney and for film in general because the important thing to keep in mind is that this movie is based on the fucking five minute theme park ride yeah and then you decide and then you decide to put it into a two and a half hour long big budget blockbuster and it's a huge risk not just for disney not just for gore verbinski the director but also it's a huge gamble for the actors involved because some of the actors that are in these movies are pretty seasoned actors and then some of them are newer to the industry than others like obviously you look at johnny depp and jeffrey wright they were pretty established talents at that point and then orlando bloom was slowly making his way up because lord of the rings was out at this time so he was in two pretty massive trilogies back to back and then kira knightley was primarily known overseas in the uk but she wasn't really an established voice here in the u.s so a lot of people watch this movie and they're like oh i don't really know kira knightley that well you know a lot of people just looked at her like probably when the movie started they're like oh she's just going to be the damsel in distress and yes there are moments where she definitely plays that part and everything <laughs> but she's so great in the in these role in these films she's so good as elizabeth swan elizabeth swan really was one of the first crushes that i ever had in my life especially as the series progressed and they gave elizabeth swan more badass things to do like especially <laughs> like you just watch her go from that first movie all the way to that third movie yeah. and it's just such a drastic shift in characterization and it's pulled mm -hmm. off so tremendously and a lot of it is due to kira's performance and she is so good and she has great banter with everybody every single person we don't have to go too much into it and everything because talking about this actor <laughs> is not the best subject and everything mm -hmm. but you cannot take credit away from how great johnny depp was as jack sparrow and how this is still one of the coolest oscar nominations of all time yeah the fact that they nominated a primarily comedic performance that is in a movie based on a fucking theme park ride <laughs> that's when the academy actually gave cool. a shit about other stuff that's when they were cool exactly i mean look i commend them for nominating the a barbie movie for all these oscars like that's right. awesome and everything but if if that was not directed by greta gerwig would they have nominated it who knows that's a different discussion for another time but um johnny depp great jeffrey wright as barbosa incredible villain absolutely fantastic and you want to talk about another great character arc throughout trilogy his is one that is so underrated like people don't talk about that arc the way they should and then you know like i said kira knightley huge <laughs> crush for me when i was younger 
Try having an older sister who wouldn't shut the hell up about Orlando Bloom as Will Turner <laughs> for for ages and ages and ages. And then those second and third movies came out back to back, like a year apart. And that's yeah. like, oh my God, Will Turner. Oh my God. <laughs> like, shut the hell up. Oh my God. I mean, yeah, he is he he is hot. That that's true. But um but no, I love these movies. They're just so entertaining, it's so fun. And you could also sense that even though the films progressively got a little worse as they as they moved along and everything, mm-hmm. the filmmaking on display in all three of these movies is really exceptional. You can yeah. see a lot of practical effects. The makeup work is insane, especially later on in the series when we're introduced to Bill Nye as Davy Jones. Like the fact that that was pretty much mostly makeup if not all makeup, that's insane. That's insane. Because now what Disney does is that they just CGI everything. They don't seem to care about practicality anymore, which is really disappointing because there was a period where you could tell that they put a lot of effort into their films. Like you see them give money, like $200 million to a movie, you could see the $200 million on display. Now you give them $300 million and it looks like the movie were made for $10 million. Yeah. True. Like it's it's honestly very embarrassing. It's really embarrassing. But these three films are great. This is definitely my favorite of the bunch. Um, and not not that the third film obviously made the top five list, but I just want to point out that as a kid watching that third film in theaters, not knowing anything going into it, being like reading reviews and what have you, the fact that they had the fucking guts, the fucking guts, the fucking nerve to open up that third movie the way they did mm-hmm. is absolutely insane to me. Because say you watch that movie, say you show that movie to someone, you don't tell them it's a Disney movie. And then the movie begins. Yeah. And then you play that open and then you tell them that it's a Disney movie. They're like, that was a Disney movie? The fact that they opened that let's just let's just point out that that same year Bridge to Tabrithia came out and that traumatized everybody around the world. So oh my God, yeah. The, going from that to this, like, um, excuse me, what the fuck? And again, they had guts Disney back then. Said, Disney Disney said, We'll make sure you're all in therapy. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. 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 But now I, I love these movies. They're great. And then the scene in the third movie when they get married is cinema. Oh, cinema at its finest. Um, but True. no, I think all three of them are great. That first one to me is very special because even as an adult, it still found a way of holding up for me. I watched the film the other day and I'm just so blown away by the filmmaking on display and how we don't really get a lot of blockbusters like this to where you could see the filmmaking on display and not only passion for the scope but the storytelling as well they're entertained they're over the top they're ridiculous but they embrace it and again jack sparrow that character could have been such a career killer for johnny depp but it became such a staple for him because again say what you want about johnny depp as an actor and what have you but he made that character work yeah way better than it should have and it got him, yeah. and and it got him a fucking Oscar nomination. It got him an Oscar nomination. It isn't like a silly little like Teen's Choice Award nomination. He got nominated for an Oscar. That's huge. Yeah, that's huge. And honestly, a lot of people thought that he could have 
won an Oscar for that performance. I, and I'll be honest, if he won an Oscar for that performance, I wouldn't have complained because that would have been a very deserving win. So, yeah, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl specifically is my number four. Are any of these Pirates of the Caribbean films on your list? If not, I would love to hear your thoughts on this trilogy. <laughs> Uh, they are not, although I did write a little honorable mentions at my end of my list. Um, and, and they are specifically the first one is on it. Like you said, I admire this franchise so much, at least for its first three films, because they really went like balls to the wall on a crazy idea. Like, you know, you think about the idea of taking a theme park ride and we've seen it fail like we've seen them try not once but twice with the haunted mansion uh which arguably has easier source material in the ride than pirates does and yet they somehow managed to pull this out of their hat and it's funny because you know whenever these movies were coming out and i was in like middle school high school I remember people all the time would be like, oh, like, are you like a Will Turner girl? Are you a Captain Jack girl? Like, which one are you? And I distinctly remember at the time being like, you're paying attention to other people when Elizabeth Swan is on screen? Like, how? And in retrospect, I should have realized I was bisexual a lot sooner. <laughs> so, you know, it's like if I'd just known a few more things, I think this would have been my my queer awakening. Um, but no, like she's so good in these. I think that one thing that really impresses me with Kira Knightley's performance specifically, and this is not like, I'm not criticizing Orlando Bloom here, but I think she does this better than he does, is finding a way to get a very grounded performance against Johnny Depp being completely camp and out there and still make it work. Because I think that that's a really difficult thing to do as an actor. Like, obviously, I mean, uh, as much as I hate Johnny Depp as a person, what he did in these movies as an actor was very impressive. But I also think someone in your cast giving a performance like that can really present a challenge to the other actors who aren't given roles that are as sort of out there in terms of how do you make your character feel, you know, like they can stand next to Captain Jack Sparrow. And I think that Kieran Knightley, at a very young age, did a very good job at that. Yeah, I mean... You know, it could be such a challenge, and I want to know how these actors were able to um, work <laughs> properly when acting in scenes with Johnny Depp. Because, like, yeah. if I were on set, and I'm not even joking when I say this, I would I would struggle to contain my laughter. One of the sequences that I love so much in this first one in particular was when he interacts with Will Turner and he tries to shoot somebody, and then someone just happens to yeah. like knock him out, then he just like plops to the ground. And, you, you know, like, yeah, you could say what you want about Johnny Depp as a person. He He's a scumbag, and, yeah, he sucks and everything. But um, <laughs> that performance, I, I don't know if I could have pictured anyone else in that role. And I know that they were looking at other actors, I believe, when they were, you know, putting this movie together and everything. But he just – it just blows my mind that he got nominated for an Oscar for this. And I really wish that yeah. it opens up the discussion of how I, and I'm sure you do as well. I want more comedic 
performances to be recognized mm-hmm. by the Oscars. And yeah, there's some emotional heft to the character of Jack Sparrow. He isn't just a goofball the entire time. There are a small dose of serious scenes and he is great in them when he has to be, but he's there to make the audience laugh and he's there to be a fun time. And he embraces that and he does a wonderful job at the same time though. It makes you wonder if the Academy had been different, would we have gotten more comedic performances nominated over the last 20 years? Mm -hmm. And I'm really happy to see that Ryan Gosling just got nominated for an Oscar because that, that's a that's a very comedic performance. And that's not the kind of performance you would even think would get nominated for an Oscar. But it comes to show that every once in a while, the Academy is cool and they decide to not just nominate serious performances. And look, I love serious performances and I know Nicole does as well. And if they're great, they <laughs> obviously deserve to be nominated. But every once in a while, it gets tiring when all the performances that are nominated are just sad and depressing and just heartbreaking. It's like, can we have one performance that's actually like funny that makes me laugh and puts a smile on my face? And Johnny Depp as Jack Sparrow is is that. And yeah, I just I, I cannot believe they made this movie work as well as it does. It's insane to me how again, a huge gamble, but Kudos to Gore Verbinski and the writers and the entire cast for knocking it out of the park. And I really do wish that Disney would um, have common sense and start making more films like this. I know there are reports going around right now saying that there might be another Pirates of the Caribbean coming out with Margot Robbie, which, I mean, I love Margot. I don't know if I want her to do a Pirates of the Caribbean movie. (laughs) I wouldn't say no to it. It depends on who's behind it as well. But now there's talks about Mm -hmm. Iowa Debery being in a Pirates of the Caribbean movie, and I love Iowa Debery, but I don't know if I I buy her in that. And again, I say that now, and I'll be there day one to watch. But um, yeah, I I would love to see Margot produce a Pirates movie because I feel like she's so interesting as a producer. And I feel like she might be able to figure out how to sort of take this franchise into the 2020s. Um, I don't know that it's like what I want to see her like act in, but I do feel like she has such an interesting understanding of sort of how to take a character in a franchise and make them feel like so much more. So maybe she could do it. I don't know. I in Margot Robbie, we trust. So. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if she's just producing it or if she's acting it. I'm not entirely sure what her involvement with this project mm-hmm. is, but I'd be curious to see where she goes with it. We talked about Pirates of the Caribbean for way too long. I mean, they really are solid movies, and <laughs> they really shouldn't have made more after that. That third one was a really solid ending to the story, I thought. Mm-hmm. And, you I know, agree. like, look, there were some decent parts in the other two movies, but for the most part, they just lack what those first three, especially that first one, has. So, yeah, like everyone just looked very not so much the fourth one, but the fifth one, everyone just looked like they did not want to be there. Like Johnny Depp looked like he didn't want to be there. Jeffrey Rush did not look like he wanted to be there. Um, Nobody looked like they wanted to be there. Nobody. Yeah. And that's disappointing. (laughs) That's very disappointing. Although I will say that Javier Bardem looked like he enjoyed making that movie more than he did with the Little Mermaid remake. So, so <laughs> I'll give Listen, it that. I think Javier Bardem was just very confused about how they were going to do the whole like merman tail thing. And I think that's what he's thinking about the whole time. He was probably just, he was probably just ready to get back to Dune. That's probably what he was waiting for the whole time. Yeah. 
He's like, could I just get back to Dune, please? He's like, so what goes where the green screen is again? Exactly. Like, exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh. So now transition into our number threes. What is your pick? Okay. Um, going in a very different direction. My number three is a little known 2018 film by Wash Westmoreland uh, called Colette um, that Keira Knightley played the titular role in. It is about the French, you know, writer, actress, celebrity, if you will, um, of the sort of end of the 19th century, uh, beginning of the 20th, Sidonie Gabrielle Colette. And Keira Knightley gives such a great performance in this. Um, The cast is insane. I mean, it's Keira with Dominic West. Eleanor Tomlinson, Denise Goff. It is a beautiful story that really, I think, honors um, a a queer historical figure, which uh, is very difficult to find in the film industry a lot of the time. It doesn't sort of present that as as shady. Um, Looking at you, Bohemian Rhapsody. But (laughs) it is also a really beautiful story looking at how um Colette's husband you know sort of passed off her work as his own for a long time and got really famous off of these novels that were uh actually her work sort of sort of the whole Zelda and F. Scott Fitzgerald thing but even worse and how she had to fight to sort of uh, you know, get away from him and, and be able to have her own creative life. And um, obviously, I feel like I'm, I, I love anything that is sort of about uh, a creative person, and particularly any story about a writer really resonates with me. But I think that Colette really has some of her best acting work. I think it's one of her best performances, the way that she portrays um the character she ages because she I think she goes through at least a couple of decades over the course of the movie is really really impressive um and again that's largely done through her physicality which I think is so cool uh but I I really admire Kira for for doing a project like this because I think it's one of those stories that like really is worth telling um as far as you know a, a sort of biopic piece goes and it's it also holds a very uh, special place in my heart because I went to see it at the Paris Theater in New York while I was living there. And, and I do love the Paris Theater back before Netflix owned it. So. <laughs> so this is not on my list. This is a blind spot on mine. I haven't been able no to see this No one has film. seen this movie. Like, I truly... I, has anyone other than me and Dan Bayer seen this movie? I don't know. Probably, <laughs> probably <laughs> not. And <laughs> probably not. And when you and Dan Bayer are the only people that watch a movie, you really are the only people that watch a movie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's usually how it goes and everything. Um, no, it's, I remember when they came out and it was one that definitely intrigued me, but I remember it was so difficult to find. I couldn't find it anywhere. Uh, living in New, yeah. New Jersey, unfortunately, you're not going to be able to find movies for that. You have to like really dig deep to find movies like that in New Jersey, which is unfortunate, but um, yeah, yeah, it's one that I want to check out. And it was one that was actually on my list to watch in preparation for this episode. But again, because time is a construct and at time... <laughs> We don't have a lot of it. Um, I didn't get around to watching this, which disappoints me. But 
hearing you glow about it makes me more excited to when I do get around to watching it for sure. Amazing. And now my number three. What's your three? Yeah. My number three is the only modern day film that I have on my list. I have to preface this I by saying I, I have to preface this by saying that um this movie's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. There are some flaws with it, and there are some really, really, really big flaws. But there are more goods with this movie than there are bads with this movie. And I have a very big attachment to this filmmaker, so naturally I had to include this person, one of this person's films on my list. From 2014, my number three is Begin Again. Nicole knows this, and I'll explain this to the <laughs> listeners. I'm a huge, huge, huge musical fan. I love musicals. I love movies about music. I'm not a musician at all. I cannot sing for <laughs> my life, but I do love watching movies about people discovering their voice whether it's singing or dancing and i also just love a musical that isn't you know based on some ip or based on a previous stage production and what have you this is an original musical that is written and directed by john carney love john carney he is best known for directed once and then he made this movie and right after that he made the absolutely utterly phenomenal beautiful piece of cinema saint street which literally is one of the most important films in my lifetime. And then he most recently made a film called Florence Son, which did not get as much um, discussion as it should have, but that's what happens when a film basically is just dumped to a streaming service. Um, should have gotten more recognition. It was such a good film. Very lovely film. Not as good as St. Street, but I mean, what is as good as St. Street? Let's be honest. Um, so begin again, we have Kira Knightley, who... You know, is from the UK, but she travels to the States with her boyfriend, who is this very, very, very famous singer, uh, Dave Kroll, who's played by Adam Levine. Is it Levine or Levine? I never know what it is. I think it's Levine. 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 Adam Levine of Maroon 5 fame. And then let's just say that something happens in their relationship and she's stuck in the city all by herself. She has no one. She's given up hope, but she's ready to travel back to the UK. But then one night while she's performing at a bar, she attracts the attention of a struggling music producer played by the very, very awesome and one of my favorite talents. Honestly, as the years have gone by, I've appreciated this guy way more. Mark Ruffalo, um, looking all disheveled and everything. Like he rocks the look personally. Like he's he he's still great as always. Um, and they start this friendship and everything. And he wants to sign her, a big deal and everything. So then considering what's going on with Mark Ruffalo's character where the company that he essentially founded, his partner in crime doesn't want him involved with that anymore. He decides to go on his own, record an album with Kira Knightley's character, and they both find ways of discovering who they are and where they belong. And Kira Knightley does her own scene in this movie. It's not my favorite scene, I'll be honest. It's not, it's not my favorite. <laughs> um, but I cannot deny how much I love the movie and I really do love her solo song and the star of the movie. First, when we hear it, we don't hear it in the cool spin, but then we fast forward to where we see it from Mark Ruffalo's perspective and he, in a really cool scene, the instruments are playing themselves. Like he's visualizing people playing them and everything. And he's trying to figure out the tune in his head. 
And that is really, really good. A Step You Can't Take Back. Oh my God, what a great song. What a fantastic song. Um, but I love Kira in this. I love seeing her. It was nice to see her branch out of the period pieces and do something, one that is set in present day. That's it's an important thing. And also, like she had never done a musical before, I think at this time. I'm not entirely sure on the top of my head, but it, it was refreshing to see her do something that she had never done, at least from my perspective. And... I liked her a lot in this. I thought she had really great chemistry with Mark Ruffalo. You could see this platonic relationship, a possible like will they, won't they type of thing between the two of them, like where they're partners, but then they could be more than just business collaborative partners. And I basically love how she essentially tells Adam Levine to fuck off. I think that's great. I, I think it's great how she just basically says, fuck you, get out of my life. And then Adam Levine sings this beautiful song, which got Oscar nominated, which major uh, like applause right there. And um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed Begin Again. I watched it the other night for the first time since it came out in theaters 10 years ago, which is nuts. Um, and my appreciation for it went down a little bit, if I'm being honest, but I still really liked the film a lot and I really liked Kira in it. And I really think that her and Mark Ruffalo are a really good parent. I, I think when anyone's paired with Mark Ruffalo, it's usually just so good. Even if the movie itself is not that great, like I could recognize that there are some movies where the movie itself may not be great, but set actors chemistry with Mark Ruffalo rocks. Like <laughs> I, I know that there's a huge discourse about poor things and we're not going to get into it, but I think one thing to praise, at least for me, was how well he worked off of um, Emma Stone. I thought they worked off each other really, really strongly. And yeah, I love the movie. I love Begin Again. I love John Carney. I mean, I really think that mm -hmm. the stories that he brings to life of, you know, these people tackling music and seeing how it helps them find who they are and their purpose. His movies definitely have a formula that's very repetitive throughout all of them, but I do like the approach yeah. that he takes them. And I like the songs that are written for these movies and everything. I will say though, as, as cool as it was to see him do a film that was set here in the States, I do think it's best when he <laughs> makes his films set in his home country. Don't get me wrong. It yep. was cool. It was cool seeing him branch away from his home country and do something that was completely out of the norm. But at the same time, Scene Street once and to some extent Florence Son, I think are better films to begin again because they're true to who John Carney is, and that's you know an Irishman. He's not an American. Again, I respect him for trying something different, and I love the mm -hmm. cast that he assembled in the movie. Um, shout out to Haley Steinfeld, mm -hmm. Catherine Keener. CeeLo Green yeah. in a great cameo, great cameo. And uh, who else was in this movie? Uh, I hate James Corden so much, but I actually kind of liked him in this movie. I thought he was very charming in this. Um, yeah. The one movie that I like with James Corden is this movie, just to uh, Honestly. point that out. I mean, I, li <laughs> I, I like Into the Woods until a certain point, but him, not my favorite part of that movie. That's a different discussion for another yeah. time. Anyway, Begin Again is my number three. I'm going to assume this is not on your list, but I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this movie. So it is on my little list of honorable mentions. Uh, I really love this movie. Again, it's kind of a comfort film for me. I also am a big fan of John Carney's films, even though I totally agree with you that, like, I, I kind of feel the same way about Martin McDonough. Like, 
it's not that I don't think he can do good work not set in Ireland. I just think that it feels more true to his voice whenever it is set in Ireland because uh, the sensibility of the film of his films as a whole are so Irish and feel. Um, but all that said, like you said, I love Begin Again. I love the way that Begin Again refuses to fall into all the set tropes that you would expect from this movie, from its plot synopsis. I, as someone who is very passionate about the idea that, you know, men and women can be friends platonically, uh, I think that it's so great to get to actually see that play out on screen because that's so rare. And I love Mark Ruffalo in this. I love Mark Ruffalo, period, end of statement. Um, like you said, obviously, poor things. There's a lot to say about it. Um, I love Mark Ruffalo in it. That is like, it's my one compliment for the film. Um, but like, I, I think that actually speaks to the fact though, that like a movie that is one of my least favorite films of last year, I still nominated Mark Ruffalo on my ballots for my critics groups because I thought he was that good. Um, and I think that like Kira Knightley and him have lovely chemistry. I think that they play off of each other really well. I loved seeing Kira take a chance on something like this because it's very much not her normal fare. And also for a you know actor like her who like has never really claimed to be a singer to to do this, I think is really brave actually in a way. And I think that it pays off and and yeah i'm i'm definitely a fan nice 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 uh do you have a favorite song in this movie oh i don't know that i do i don't i will say i don't listen to the music from this in the same way that i listen to once or to sing street um i'm trying to think do you have a favorite I mean, I love Lost Stars. I mean, that's a really great bookend yeah. to the movie. And I and I love how when we're first introduced to the Sean, we hear her singing it in a kind of slow acoustic mm -hmm. way. And then he plays the song yeah. for her and it's a more upbeat song. And then she tells yeah. him that you're missing the point of the song. Like the lyrics are yeah. there, but the song is not what it's supposed to be. And then you fast forward to right. that incredible last scene where he's performing the song. And then you see everyone so into it, even though it's not the most exciting song, it's yeah, the message is there. Like you could feel the message there just through how he's saying it. If you listen carefully to the lyrics and I love, I love that that's how the film wraps up. I, I mean, I think yeah, that's a great way of really beautiful the movie. ending, but there is one mm -hmm. fun question to ask you before we move on to our top two. So there's a sequence where okay. Mark Ruffalo and Kira Knightley's characters are like, you could tell, who a person is just by hearing their playlist. Could you yeah. tell me your three go-to artists that would automatically be on like an, an Nicole Ackman-esque playlist? Like what are three artists that speak to you? Yeah. Most? Like what would be like, what three artists are required to be on a playlist for you? Okay. My three, I actually, I've made several playlists the other day so that I would have playlists for different like occasions. And I had two artists that were on all of them. Um, and the first one is my favorite artist, uh, which is Maisie Peters. 
Um, I saw Maisie in concert twice last year. I love her. Um, and truly every time I listen to one of her songs, I'm like, did I write this? Like, did she get into my brain? Like what happened here? Uh, my second one would be Renee Rapp. Um, partially because, uh, Renee Rapp is also a theater kid from North Carolina. Um, so, you know, I feel like that really speaks to who I am as well, but also, um, her music is really interesting. I mean, she has a lot of songs that, that really acknowledge and deal with being queer, um, with being a perfectionist, with feeling like you're still sort of trying to find your way. Um, and I, I feel like that tells a lot of, a lot about who I am. Um, but then I actually think the third one's hard because, but I'm going to go with what my instinct is, which is, um, I've gotten over the past couple of years, very into the eighties band tears for fears. Um, and I feel like maybe that speaks a little bit to a different side of my personality than the first two choices do. Um, and head over heels is like my favorite song. So I, I feel like those three together, like map out the aspects of my personality pretty well no that's those are three very solid picks um <laughs> I, I i actually got into macy peters pretty recently uh which is so funny because i got into her. i don't know how i got into her i think i just saw someone post about her and then i saw you posted about her and i'm like oh my god what are the <laughs> odds like where are the odds yeah uh, renee rap great singer i hated mean girls 2024 um no it was a mess, <laughs> but, but she was not one of the problems of that movie. So, um, I'll say that. And then, uh, tears for fears. Great, great choice. That's fantastic. Um, you could say what you want about maestro, but honestly, maestro kind of reinvigorated me of listening to that group again. So kudos to Bradley yeah. Cooper for doing something meaningful. I'm just kidding. I love Bradley yep, Cooper. Yep. So, uh, for me, the three R's I'll go very quick with this, uh, easy. Number one, cold okay. play, my favorite group of all time easy number okay, one nice yeah. um and then i'm gonna go with my second favorite group i'm gonna go with radiohead um which oh, i mean I... you have thoughts it's yeah <laughs> well we'll, we'll no, save no, that for I just, i'm like i didn't know that you were a radiohead guy but that uh, makes a lot of uh, sense i'm a hu- i'm a huge radiohead guy i mean I became like very into Radiohead once I started realizing how great of a composer Johnny Greenwood is for cinema. And I started yeah. really, it was really after Phantom Thread came out to where that score rocked my world. Mm-hmm. And then when I realized that I put two and two together of how he's Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead, I like really yeah. sat down and listened to Radiohead. And then during COVID, I did like a whole binge of their music. And I just my respect for them just skyrocketed and I really want them to go on tour again soon. And then my last pick is my favorite solo artist working today. His music is the most beautiful things that I've ever heard, but my God, they are so fucking depressing. Chef and Stevens. Oh yeah. <laughs> Look, I just, I just love sad you, music. What can I say? I'm a Pisces. Give me a break. And I said, I know that. Okay. Yeah. I see it. <laughs> That, that was a very Pisces set of artists, so. <laughs> I wonder if Kira really likes Coldplay. Show. I wonder if she likes Coldplay. Let's see. What is, is I wonder if Kira Knightley is a Pisces. Let's see. <laughs> oh, my God. That would make so much sense. 
What is she? She's an Aries. Oh, God. I was hoping That's she was a Pisces. Oh, her birthday's I actually know. a few days after mine. Oh, she's so close. Oh, so she's right on the line. Yeah. Right, March 26th is her birthday. Oh, she's so close. But she's a March birthday <laughs> person, so you know what? It all works out in the end. Okay. Oh, right. She's a March Aries. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so steering away from talking about the music that makes us cry and feel like crap, uh, we're going to talk about our top two films. Uh, these two films, one of these films makes me feel like crap because of how fucking depressing it is. Um, and we already know what the Same. two films are. We don't know what wh- what spots they're in, but... Um, I have yeah. no idea what your top two are, although I have an idea of what <laughs> one of them is because you did hint at yeah. another Joe Wright I film, did. but I have no idea where it I ranks. So, so okay. tell us what your second favorite Keira Knightley film of all time is. All right. My second favorite is a super depressing film that I have an unnatural attachment to. Uh, it is the film Never Let Me Go, which... Yeah, is an insane movie that I, like, cry every time that I watch. Um, and it's something quite different for Kira Knightley. It's this, like, science fiction-y movie about these people who, um, I don't want to give away, like, too much, but it's about this group of friends, basically, who find out as, basically, they are clones who have been created for the purposes of like August har- or the August organ harvesting, um, which is already like a really depressing <laughs> setup. Uh, but what makes this movie so heart wrenching is the dynamic between the three main characters, which are played by a very young Keira Knightley, Carrie Mulligan, and Andrew Garfield. Uh, this movie also has Donald Gleason in it, so it, it really is like Nicole Bate all around. Um, oh no, here we go remember, again. From the last time I was here, um, I am in fact trying to make uh, Brendan Gleason my father in law. So good thing I'm not good, good thing I don't have a drink in my hand right now. Yeah, <laughs> last time, exactly. I, last time um, I nearly spit coffee on my laptop and I almost ruined my laptop, so. <laughs> well, I'm glad that I did not cause any potential harm to your laptop this time but not yet um as we know i do love donald gleason um and this movie truly tears me apart but what's so interesting in it is that Kara knightley plays this role where she's sort of the antagonist of a lot of it um and because it is this sort of love triangle and she you know the, the film is really centered around carrie mulligan's character and so that sort of puts kira into this antagonistic position and the way that she plays that I think is so interesting. I think it's a side of her as an actress that we really haven't gotten to see as much. Um, one of my other special mentions, honestly, is Kira Knightley in The Nutcracker and The Four Realms, which is not a good movie. But um, she plays a like horrifically villainous, um, very campy character. It's very like Helena Bottom Carter playing Bellatrix. Uh, and I love to see her tap into that side of, of herself as an actress. And I'm like, let's get her some more like, you know, villainy roles. Like I wanted her to pop up in Saltburn as like, you know, a cousin. Um, but yeah, that that's my pitch. Like Emerald Fennell, let's get Kira Knightley in something. Uh, but I, I really love Never Let Me Go. It's a film that I feel like got pretty overlooked. 
whenever it came out, it's one that I always recommend to people. I also will say my really fun fact about this movie um, is that I watched it for the first time whenever I was studying abroad during college. Uh, I spent a semester at the University of St. Andrews in Scotland. And the reason that I watched this movie is because the um, dorm next to mine uh, was actually used in the movie as um, like a hospital for dying people. Um, So then every day, whenever I walk past that building, that was all that I could think of. Um, So I kind of shot myself in the foot with that. But it, (laughs) listen it did introduce me to one of my favorite movies, so I can't complain too much, but, uh, yeah, I, I really recommend it if you haven't seen it, because it is, if, I, I feel like particularly for someone who just named the three musical artists that you did, this is a movie for you, Brian. <laughs> okay, okay, so I actually have seen this movie. I watched it pretty recently, a okay. little over a year ago, um, and I'll be honest, I was very mixed on it. I think that Ooh, when I, okay. I, I think when I watched it, I just wasn't in the right headspace for it because I, you I definitely went have into, to be in the right headspace. Yeah, I went into, I went into it not really knowing what it was about. I watched mm-hmm. it pretty much for the actors and everything. I mean, I love all three of them equally. Um, Andrew right. Gar, Andrew Garfield's in contention for maybe being my favorite actor working today. Um, and then obviously Carrie and Morgan, I love, and then of course Kira and everything. Yeah. But I also love how the person who directed this, I, I don't know his name on the top of my head, but he doesn't really direct that much, but he directed a very, another very overlooked film called One Hour Photo with Robin Williams. And I just did a mm-hmm. Robin Williams episode and um, I talked so much about how I love that film and how it was so cool seeing Robin Williams do a film like that because you know, Robin Williams was best yeah. known for his comedies. And then in that movie, he's a pretty messed up guy. And, you know, that's not exactly the kind of role that we're used to seeing Robin tackle, but it was cool seeing right. him, seeing that side of him during his career. But mm-hmm. I think for me, the reason why I didn't fully click with this movie, not only because I wasn't in the right headspace, but sometimes whenever I watch a movie where the characters and the writing i i don't know how to word it but it felt very dry and stoic to me and i don't Mm. know if that's the right way to describe it i obviously like with the circumstances of what these characters are it's understandable why they're presented the way they are but again i just don't think i was in the right headspace for this but what i really loved were these performances i think all three of them were great and like you said it was really interesting to see Kira Knightley essentially played the antagonist of this trio to where when these characters were kids, younger Andrew Garfield and Carrie Mulligan were like really close with one another. Then fucking Kira Knightley comes in and swoops him away from her. And it's like, yeah. you fuck, it's like you, you fucking bitch. And um, Kira, <laughs> Kira Knightley just has that look to where she could play a very humble down the earth person so seamlessly, but she could easily play mm-hmm. a scumbag as well. Like that just comes to show right. how much range Kira Knightley has as a performer, which I really respect. But I do remember being really taken aback by this. And without spoiling anything, there's a certain scene with Andrew Garfield much later in the movie that still is in my brain. And I never got it never left my brain, especially after I saw the movie. I just couldn't stop thinking about it. But it is one that I would it never love will. To. Exactly. It will never <laughs> let me go. <laughs> It will never let me go. Um, um, 
but it is a film that I definitely want to revisit down the road. It's it's one that I do want to check out because I did like I liked it, but I didn't love it yeah. as much as I wanted to. Considering that I love all three of the actors, I love the concept. I think the concept rocks. I think it's an awesome yeah. concept, and I think it's a unique approach to a sci-fi film because not every sci-fi film has to be like flying cars and futuristic stuff. Like it's very self-contained. It made right. me think of um one of my favorite sci-fi films. I don't know if I would really consider it a sci-fi film, but like, you know, we're coming up on Valentine's Day, Eternal Sunshine, that's kind of a sci-fi film. Yep. Uh, Her, that's kind or of a sci-fi it, film. I was going to say, it feels like a sci-fi movie in the same way that Her is in particular, how like realistic it feels in terms of like, yeah, I can totally understand how as a society we could end up becoming this. Yeah. Um, wouldn't shock me. <laughs> No, I agree, and it, and it's nice to know that this film isn't set in a place where it feels like it's very far off from now. When is this film mm -hmm. set? Wasn't it set in the past? I don't remember. I don't. It it is a very. It, it does feel like it's this sort of like alternate reality of. Um, I don't honestly remember if they specify, but the the clothing and the the costume design makes it seem sort of like. 70s ish i want to say yeah that's what i was thinking too when i watched it i i remember watching it and i'm like there's mm -hmm. no way this is set in 2010 it feels like yeah. it was a film that was set like in yeah. the 70s maybe the 80s um mm -hmm. and i like with how like a film like her or eternal sunshine like you could tell that eternal yeah. sunshine i believe is set in the time that that movie came out another mark ruffalo film fittingly yeah. enough um but <laughs> um but with her that's definitely like not far off from now that definitely yeah. seems like a film that was set maybe a couple years in the future but not like 50 years in the future and everything there were no flying cars like yeah, yeah there was an advancement in technology but it wasn't like it felt realistic it felt like this could be where technology is in a few years from now right and, and we're getting to that point yeah. now which is kind of scary when you really think about it but um yeah yeah, Never Let Me Go was a fascinating choice. To be honest, I kind of forgot that she was even in that film. I forgot about that film, period. <laughs> but you know what? You're someone that loves to throw curveballs and catch everyone off guard, so it totally makes sense why you put it as your number two favorite Karen Knightley film of all time, while my <laughs> top two are the most cliched, predictable answers possible. So we're going to talk about that right now. So number two for me is Atonement. I watched Atonement for the first time last year when we did our Saoirse Ronan discussion, and I loved it so much, and I agree. It's one of those films that is so great that you don't want to watch again, simply because of how, for the most part, like yeah, it's a, it's not an uplifting watch really at all, especially with what is being depicted in the movie, like the story of um, how James McAvoy's character is accused of doing these things to Kira Knightley that spoiler did he or did he not do it? I'm not going to tell you. Watch the movie to find out, but. Um, it is really great. I remember when we talked about it last year on our Saoirse Ronan discussion, how we were pretty much celebrating Saoirse Ronan's performance because she was only 12, 13 years old when she did that. And that was an incredible child performance. And to the mm -hmm. point where it got her an Oscar nomination, rightfully deserving. But, um, yep. I think Kira is great in this. And I think her chemistry with James McAvoy is unbelievable. If their chemistry didn't work, the entire movie would fall on its shoulders. Like it would not work mm -hmm. if it wasn't for the two of them and how great they are together. And separately as well, I, I think both of them deliver great churns 
in this film. And yes, the green Jess is iconic. It's incredible. The fact that there's a Wikipedia art page just for that green dress is absolutely <laughs> insane to me. That's one of my favorite things ever in Wikipedia history, but it's so great how Joe Wright presents the story, the unique style of it, telling it from all these different perspectives and everything. And it could be very jarring when you first watch it. It could be very confusing. You have to like really pay attention to how it's structured. But once you get yeah. the flow of it, you really find yourself enamored by it. And not to talk too much about this, but that ending is so goddamn depressing. It is so sad. Um, when I watched the movie for the first time, I mean, this wasn't a film that really got spoiled at all for me. The only scene that would ever float around online was to see where she emerges from the pool or whatever, or the fountain or whatever. Yeah. And then he's just staring yeah. at her and you're just like, huh? And all these feelings, all these feelings, just feelings, just like looking at these two breathtakingly gorgeous people and everything like the fucking eyes on James McAvoy's face, like just pop in that scene. That's hard to keep yeah. your eyes off him. And then Kira just looking as radiant as always, even after coming out of a fountain, it's just like, girl, what the fuck are you on? Like you're, you look incredible. It's not, <laughs> it's insane. But, um, yeah, I, I, atonement's great. It's really great. And I'm glad I saw it because I would have felt, angry if i had pushed it off even longer but and, and i'm angry that i didn't watch it really until last year i had seen pieces of it but really last year was the first time where i sat down and like paid attention to it analyzed it and i was just so yeah. riveted by it and it makes me sad that even though you brought it up before that joe wright after a while kind of lost his groove but then he came back to form with yeah. cyrano which fucking rocks um, I will happily, and as will you, I will happily defend Cyrano <laughs> to the day I die. Like, literally, that film is great. Cyrano is, like, one of the greatest movie musicals ever made. It really is, and I'm so glad that, that. And I'm so glad that that's, like, such a pivotal part of our friendship. <laughs> I'm really glad. <laughs> for context, uh, for context, Nicole, <laughs> what, can you tell the listeners what our group chat name is? <laughs> Yeah, um, so Brian and I are in a group chat named Cyrano's Biggest Fans. Um, even though I think our, our like photo for the group chat is Jerry Trainer. <laughs> but it is it is a very important group chat, mostly because every so often the conversation does come back to Cyrano. So it does. It it does always come back to Cyrano. There's always something you could talk about and you're like, oh Cyrano, 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 Cyrano. Like you just think constantly about Cyrano. It's so good. But yeah, Atonement is fantastic. And I was really surprised that it didn't make your top two because I remember how much you were glowing yeah. about it when we did our search for Ronin discussion. But just hearing you glow about Never Let Me Go, I'm like, <laughs> well, now it makes sense. Well, now that makes sense. But your number one, not a shocker at all. Not a shocker at all. Not shocker. So talking about <laughs> historical films, can you talk about why Jack Ryan's Shadow Recruit is your number one Kira Knightley film of all time? Um, the funny thing about that is I actually was looking into watching it the other day. Um, because I've never seen it. Uh, and I've seen a lot of Kira's filmography, but I haven't seen that one. Um, but the real reason I was actually going to watch it is um because my um it it has connections to um, another another love of mine, which is um, Kenneth Branagh. 
listen, someone who's two of my three favorite directors are Kenneth Branagh and Joe Wright. Uh, I live in the trenches. Uh, <laughs> and I have to take the, the bad ones with the good ones. Um, but no, my <laughs> number one is not that. Uh, my number one is Anna Karenina. Um, which I think is one of the most interesting, uh, beautiful, uh, literary period piece adaptations ever made. Um, it is Joe Wright at his best. And I also think that we would not have Cyrano without Anna Karina. I think that this sort of stagey aspect of Cyrano, um, sort of was born out of Anna Karenina the whole concept of the way that he has staged the movie I think is so interesting um when this came out in 2012 I was a senior in high school and I thought this was the best movie I'd ever seen um, and I still, you know, I don't know that I would say that anymore, but I do still love it quite a bit. But I was annoying and pretentious about this movie when it came out. Um, Anna Karenina is actually one of my favorite books, which I just, I was annoying and pretentious. I guess I'm still annoying and pretentious. Um, but I think that Anna Karenina is a really interesting story. Again, uh, clearly I like things that have to do with class commentary, have to do with a love triangle. Um, I am so obsessed with the cast of this movie. I mean, like, listen, this cast obviously has Karen Knightley in the titular role, but then you've got Jude Law, you've got Aaron Taylor Johnson, you've got Kelly McDonald, Matthew McFadden. Once again, you've got Donald Gleason. Uh, you've got Ruth Wilson, Alicia Vikander, um, Olivia Williams, Emily Watson, like the list goes on and on. Uh, and it's it's kind of insane, but um, I'm obsessed with the cinematography in it. I'm obsessed with the costume design in it. Uh, there are certain shots in this film that I like. If I if I was artistic at all, I could draw them for you because they live rent free in my mind. Um, and I think that this is one of the most difficult roles that Kira has ever taken on, um, because the titular character of Anna Karenina is a really difficult character in that she is sort of an anti-hero in a way. Um, she, you know, makes a lot of understandable decisions, but then also does things that feel so difficult to root for. Um, and I think that she does such a good job of keeping us on board with this character um, and letting us sort of into her, like there's a really great sense of interiority to her performance and the way that she sort of seems to let you in on what is happening for her, not just sort of on the outside. Again, going back to that sort of whole idea of how Joe Wright approached this as the idea that these people of high society and in, in Russia in this time, they're essentially performing on a stage every time they're out in public. Um, and, and the way that these marriages and these friendships and everything are a performance. Um, and then she is sort of this, one of these few beacons of something real. And I just, I could go on about this forever, obviously. Um, but I think it's so fun to see a director like Joe Wright, again, 
really understand the gist of a piece, but be able to bring it to life in a really cinematic way um, so that it, you know, is a representation of what's on the stage or what's on not the stage, the page, but also feels like it represents something new. Um, that this is like a version of Anna Karenina that Tolstoy couldn't give us. So I I may be this movie's biggest fan. Um, <laughs> probably am actually, but I really love it. I haven't seen it. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to make the cold choke. <laughs> I, I almost just had my spit liquid at the computer. Um, that was not, not the right planned. Time for me to take a sip of water. That was um, not planned at all. <laughs> I wondered if you had seen it. I do think that as someone who loves Cyrano, you would appreciate it and you would see what I mean, at least by the idea that like I think Cyrano takes a lot of its sensibilities from this movie. Like there's a definite through line, I think. Um, again, even with the fact that it's it's another classic literary piece about a love triangle. Um, but something about Joe Wright and a love triangle, man. Um, somebody check on him. But <laughs> I, I really would be so interested when you do get around to watching it one day to know what you think of it, because it is definitely not for everyone. I would recommend, um, and this is going to sound, I don't want this to sound insulting, but as with anything that comes out of Russian literature, I would recommend taking a look at like the Wikipedia page of characters um, beforehand. This is my like Dave Malloy great comment moment of like, first, before you get into the plot, you need to introduce yourself to every character um, because otherwise it gets very confusing. Right. Uh, but I, I feel like you're the right person that you could appreciate this. So. Yeah. And then, you know. <laughs> yeah, no, it's one that I have wanted to check out. And um, I do remember when it came out and I wasn't as on top of film as I was as I am now. But I do remember seeing the trailer and being very intrigued by it. And I just never yeah. got around to watching it. And I remember when I was in college, for one of my film classes, we were talking mm -hmm. about like certain sequences that mean a lot to us. And I remember one of my classmates yeah brought in a scene from Anna Karenina. I cannot tell you what scene it was. I really don't remember. It was such a long time ago. I'm going to sit but... here and try and think through what they could have said. <laughs> All I remember was that there was dancing in it, but I don't know if it was like a scene in the beginning or the middle or the end. Oh, I bet I know the one. I, yeah. I, I have no idea, but I remember seeing it, just seeing Kira in it. And I'm just like, wow, she is just so captivating. And Lauren, please marry me. But um, yep. yeah, I wanted to check this out. And this was another one that I would have liked to have watched before this recording. But unfortunately, it's not available to stream anywhere. And I'm like, God, like, I'm, I'm not opposed to renting movies and everything. But sometimes you just don't want to do that. <laughs> so no, that's fair. Um, I um, yeah, it's, it's one that I feel like a lot of people somehow missed whenever it came out, but I'm waiting for it to have its renaissance. Because I really don't understand how the Ayler, Ayler hello, can I speak today? Um, I gave blood earlier today and I think they took my like brain with it. But um, I really am shocked that the Aaron Taylor Johnson girlies have not found this film yet because he's so hot in it. <laughs> I, I so. think I think they'll come around to it eventually. I feel like it will I think happen. They will too. <laughs> Are you saying that you want this movie to kind of have the recognition to where people realize that they slept on this and they misunderstood this and yeah. now they're like similar to how people didn't 
look at Marie Antoinette the way they look at it now? Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Um, And I think that, you know, it it needs recognized as the third piece in the Joe Wright Holy Trinity of Pride and Prejudice and Atonement and this. And and I, it's also really fascinating that um, after casting them as Elizabeth and Darcy, Joe Wright then cast Keira Knightley and Matthew McFadden as sister and brother in this movie. Um, yeah, yeah, it was a choice. Uh, that's so um, bizarre. I always I, find that so weird whenever they cast like people who played like lovers and then they play siblings. Um, yeah. it's similar to how I'm, I'm not going to say this guy's name, I'm going to say redacted. It's similar to how Shailene Woodley and redacted played brother oh, and yeah. sister and then they played lovers, and I'm like, huh. Mm-hmm. That's a choice. Yep. It feels weirder to go that direction than the other somehow. Yeah. I mean, that was the first one I could think of. That's the thing because I don't know. I can't, can you think of any other ones on the top of your head? I I feel like there's gotta be other times that, I mean, I'm also like, I'm waiting for it to happen to like Sarah and Timothy, but I feel like it's, (laughs) I feel like it's bound to happen at some point. Okay. This is a very like, very random one. And one that people don't okay. think about a lot. So, um, so Steve Carell and Tony Collette played brother and sister at Little Miss Sunshine, but then they played the lovers in The Way Way Back. Well done. I was just talking about Genuinely, Steve Carell well to someone the other day, and someone's like, "I don't think Steve Carell's <laughs> funny in anything, but um, Crazy Stupid Love." And I'm like, "Are you on crack?" Like. <laughs> Like, are you that's, kidding me? That's a wild take. Honestly, I'm like, are you? I feel like, I'm like, are you nuts? <laughs> honestly. Like anyway, what? that's a different discussion for another time. Yeah, I, that's a <laughs> different discussion for another time. <laughs> and then my number one, of co- <laughs> of course, my number one, of course, is Pride and Prejudice. Um, I had seen bits and pieces of Pride and Prejudice throughout the years i think there was a period where i did watch it but i just cannot tell you when and then a few days ago i was just browsing around prepping for this podcast and i saw that it was available to stream on peacock so i went on peacock i popped it on and i watched it and i just had so many feelings sprinkled throughout i will admit though when this first started i wasn't sure how i was feeling about it i was into it but i wasn't as omg about it as i was later on in the movie and then that scene in the rain happens and everything changed for me right away um (laughs) first of all Keira knightley as elizabeth bennett perfect casting again have not read the source material i cannot comment if it's faithful or not i'm just judging on the film and the film only she kicks so much ass in this role she is so good she is so fucking charming in this she is so charismatic she is so likable but then you just see this fire ignite in her when she doesn't get what she wants Mm -hmm. and then when there finally is someone who is interested in her it's not the person that she wants to be with and then by the time that the person that she wants to be with is interested in her she basically tells him to go fuck himself and goes off on him delivers an incredible monologue in the rain keep in mind in the rain in the rain and then you get a hard cut to those fucking gorgeous eyes from Matthew McFay. And now here's a, an important thing to keep in mind. I first saw this movie <laughs> like uh, probably a decade ago 
like towards mm-hmm. the end of high school or maybe early on in college. And then I watched Succession. Yeah, there and it I, is. <laughs> and when that first episode started, I was like, why do I know this guy? Why do I recognize him? I had recognized a few of the other actors that were on the show and everything. But I was like, this Tom guy, where do I know him from? Like, I know that face, but I don't know where <laughs> I've seen him before. Fast forward to the end of the first episode. I look him up, Mr. Darcy from Pride Prejudice. I literally drop my phone and I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, that, <laughs> I'm like, that's him. What the actual fuck? First of all, first of all, beautiful fake American accent. Just incredible. Seamless yeah. fake American accent. Yeah. But also, like, damn, that guy can, like, fucking act. And now he's a two-time Emmy winner, and I'm proud of him for that. I really am. And I love that at, at, when the recent season of um, Succession was on and people were live-tweeting it and everything, people would constantly bring up clips from Pride Prejudice and be like, he went from this to playing that. And I'm just like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, what a major flex right there. But, yeah. but no, I, you know, you brought up a lot of points about how – um. I think it's really incredible what Joe Wright was able to do. It's important to point out, and I don't know if you said this when you talked about it, this was his first film, period. And the fact that this was his debut, it's an incredible debut. I mean, it comes to show what we eventually would end up loving about Joe Wright. And for him to make this film his debut, yes, it's not some big budget blockbuster and what have you, but this is an adaptation of a very famous piece of literature. And the fact that he was able to pull it off incredible go ahead say your piece and well and the cast that he put together for it i mean it's got like baby carrie mulligan baby jenna malone um rosamund pike before she was like rosamund pike like it is an insane cast also a fun fact if you don't know is that oh my god i forget his last name simon something who plays mr bingley in it um and rosamund pike actually had dated while they were at university simon woods Um, simon woods and then yes yes um dated when they were at university and so then whenever joe wright was going to cast simon he had to go to rosamund and be like hey um so i really want to cast this guy in this role but i found out he's your ex-boyfriend um and they were like no no it's fine we'll like we'll be able to handle it um but so if their chemistry seems good it was (laughs) um yeah that's one of my favorite facts about that movie no that's that's so cool that's great but no i (laughs) i love i i really 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 just i don't know i i watched this and then just something ignited in me that i'm like what why didn't i watch this again sooner like i had all these feelings (laughs) inside of me i thought i was gonna get one thing and i got something completely different and this movie really did remind me of why i prefer like all jokes aside this is really why i prefer kira knightley in a period piece i just she just has the look and she just nailed the look of elizabeth bennett yeah. and then matthew mcfadian also nailed the look of mr darcy like everything yeah. like but also but also he's done a lot of films and now shows set in present day and he definitely has a look for present day stuff but i don't he's know someone who goes back and forth so flawlessly he does he does and i remember 
when, you know, like I said, because prior to succession, this was the only thing I watched him in, but I didn't really remember his actual accent. I thought he was American. And then I remember <laughs> after the first episode, they played like a featurette or something. And then just him talking. I'm like, this fucker is not American. What the fuck? <laughs> like his American accent. And keep in mind, he's doing a New York accent too, which already on top uh-huh. of that is a hard accent to pull off. <laughs> um, but it's incredible. It's a really beautiful film. It's so cool mm-hmm. that Kira got nominated for an Oscar for this. Um, it wasn't like a huge awards player. It didn't really garner a lot of accolades, which yeah. is very interesting. But Kira managed to sneak into the Actress 5 at the Oscars. Mm-hmm. And she was only 20 years old when she got that nomination, which in my opinion is awesome. Wild. I don't get why we don't nominate a lot more younger performers either. Like that's another thing that I don't understand. I mean – you brought up to me before that you had just watched the holdovers recently. Do you not yeah. know how sick it would have been if for his to first nominate. fucking film, he would have gotten nominated Dominic Sessa. And it would have been so worthy. Like, I think it's, I think it's so much speaks to the fact that the Oscars have so largely become a thing of like, we're not rewarding this actor for this project. We're rewarding them for their career, which I understand, like, I totally get that there are actors out there that it's like, oh, well, we just want for them to be able to say they're an Oscar-winning actor. But at the same time, I think it's a shame that because of that, we end up not nominating all these really great comedic performances, these really great young performances, you know, things that don't fit the mold. Yeah, exactly. And then they also choose to not recognize certain actors because they're like, oh, we only look at them as this thing, but we don't see them as that thing. Like, this is going to be very brief, and then I'll just close out my thoughts on this movie. But okay. a few a few years ago, in the 2019 year, the, the Parasite 1917 year, yeah. a lot of people had talked about how both Adam Sandler and Jennifer Lopez should have been nominated for their respective films. But yeah. then there were these reports that came out saying that Academy members, members were like, we don't want to nominate Adam Sandler because he's a comedic performer and we don't want to recognize that even though the performance that he gave was not a comedic performance. And then same by them putting down Jennifer Lopez being like, we just see her as a singer, even though she gave this kick-ass performance in Hustlers. So it is unfortunate that the Academy basically has become this way because there was a period, like you said, where they were cool and they nominated comedic performances. They nominated younger actors. They took risks. They didn't nominate the typical performances that you would think would even garner Oscar nominations. I mean, think about Melissa McCarthy about a decade ago when she got nominated for Bridesmaids. That was not an Academy type of performance, and yet they nominated her, and it's one of the coolest nominations of the last, like, 10 to 15 years. I mean, if you look at the beginning of the Oscars, like, there's a period where they really are dominated by musical comedies. Yeah. And um, it's interesting that it feels like it's, it's much more of a recent thing that the Oscars really got so, dare I say, pretentious about who and what they're willing to nominate. No, I agree. I agree. I love watching the Oscars and I love talking about them, but there are so many questionable decisions that they make to where it definitely steers me away from loving them as much as I want to, even though they nominate yeah. and award the films that I love. It just, it, <laughs> it, like literally my favorite film of the past year is about to win best picture. And I I'm happy about yeah. that. I really am. But at the same time, like I'm not going to brush aside some of the questionable decisions that they have made these last few years, but going back to pride and prejudice, um, <laughs> 
I love the film. Everything about it is incredible. Joe Wright's direction, the screenwriting, uh, the imagery. The imagery is so gorgeous. It's so beautiful. There's these great wide shots and shots of the sun and the rain and everything. Like there's this really great wide shot where she's walking to the Darcy house and it's this really long shot very wide shot you see this tree and then you see like the sun in the back and then you just see her walking and it's just so striking and alluring and the costumes are great it's very hard to make a period piece work as well as it does and joe wright just knows how to do it he's done it so many times to where like he's able to pull it off and there are some filmmakers who try to tackle a period piece some aren't able to meet those standards to where they make these period period pieces that feel very modern, where you don't buy them mm-hmm. as films set in the time period that they're set in. Yeah. But this movie, even though it was made in the mid two thousands, and you could obviously tell that it was made in the mid two thousands, it definitely feels like it captured that time period really well through the aesthetic, the costumes, the sets, all that stuff. And this is a very silly question to ask, and there's probably a reason behind it, but how come with Mr. and Mrs. Bennett, why did they address themselves as Mr. and Mrs. Bennett to each other? Why don't they say their first names? Is that, is, was that something that was big at that time period? Yeah, that was, especially because, you know, as much as they're sort of so concerned about, what's gonna happen to them after Mr. Bennett dies because the estate's like entailed away, they actually are quite well off. Um and so it is sort of part of that that higher society thing that that is actually um you know obviously a more private moment. Right. They would be using their first names, but in front of the family, out and about in society, um it it is my understanding at least is that it is accurate they would have been referring to each other as thus got you got you i just need some clarification on that from the history yeah. person um <laughs> but yeah great movie i love it it's fantastic um yeah joe ray and kira knightley definitely need to work together again i'm surprised that they haven't worked together since anna karenina i feel like yeah. they're definitely i feel like they're gonna cook up something very very soon i I would be shocked if they don't. But then again, if we only have that trilogy, hey, fine yeah. by me. And I haven't even seen the third one in the trilogy. So you know what? <laughs> They're looking for the right book to adapt, clearly. I, I think so. <laughs> I think so. Absolutely. So we're going to talk about some opera mentions, and then we're going to play a little bit of a fun game at the end of this episode. But before we do that, we're going to recap our list from five to one. So Nicole, what is your list? Mm-hmm. All right, my list um number five is pride and prejudice number four atonement number three colette number two never let me go and then number one is anna Karenina. and to recap my list coming in number five is the imitation game number four pirates of the caribbean the curse of the black pearl number three begin again number two atonement and number one pride and prejudice so that is it with our list so let's move on to some opera mentions so what are some films that you want to give a shout out to that didn't crack your top five list okay so obviously i mentioned earlier you had some on your list that i would totally uh love to give a shout out to like begin again the first pirates movie um i also mentioned that i think that kira gives one of her most fun performances in the nutcracker and the four realms um but there's two movies that i really want to give a shout out to one is the first movie that i ever saw her in which is actually a tv movie 
um, a Disney TV movie, I believe. Um, it is called Princess of Thieves. Um, and she plays Robin Hood's daughter in it. And it is obviously a period piece. It's so fun. And honestly, it's a really interesting movie in that, you know, I think it really speaks a lot to the kind of characters that she would end up playing. These sort of literary inspired period heroines who are sort of spunky and not willing to, um, you know, just deal with the hand that they've been dealt by society. Uh, So that is one that I watched a ton when I was a little kid. Um, So obviously my, my love for her started out quite early. Uh, And then the other one is a more recent movie there. It's, it's confusing because there have been several recent movies called this, but it's called silent night and it is a dark comedy. um, Starring her Matthew good, Lily Rose Depp, uh, Roman Griffin Davis, and I cannot remember her name off the top of my head, but it is actually directed by Roman Griffin Davis's mother. Um, oh. Yeah, and it is about, the premise is um, that this sort of bougie, well-to-do English family has all gathered um, at uh, Kieran Knightley and Matthew Good's house uh, for Christmas, Um but the twist is that uh, the end of the world is coming and they know that the gas is sort of headed towards them. They only have so much time um, and they're sort of trying to figure out as a family how they're going to deal with that. Uh, and it's it's really interesting. I think it has a lot of like really fascinating things to say about class, about society, you know, about um how we sort of view life and and the tensions within the family are really fun. But again, it's so fun to see her in something a bit different. Um, she and Matthew Good work perfectly together. And it made me really want to see her do sort of more uh, of this type of like dark comedy stuff. Like I'm now very interested in the idea of like, I would love to see what she would be like in a Martin McDonough movie. Um, so those those are my honorable mentions. Also, a shout out to Bend It Like Beckham, which I finally saw last year, um, because she can do it all, including a sports movie. So my honorable mentions are pretty light. There's a lot of blind spots in Kira Knightley's filmography, admittedly, for me. I, Silent Night is one that I really wanted to see when that came out. Um but I just never got around to seeing it. And just hearing the premise, it sounds, you know, it's funny that that's not the only end of the world movie that Kira Knightley did. Um, yeah. Se- Seeking a friend for the end of the world, which is not an opera mention for me. That film is okay. It's fine. I mean, I love Steve Carell, finally enough. I-, I feel like anything that we mentioned on tonight's recording, it somehow comes back to Kira Knightley. Like we talked about Steve Carell for a little bit. And now here's Steve Carell, a guy working with Kira Knightley. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But for me, I guess in terms of my opera mentions, Love Actually is great. I love it. Although yeah. I missed out on it this past Christmas. I didn't get around to watching it this past holiday. Oh. Um, but I love it. I really do enjoy it. It's very, very good. And mm-hmm. I liked her performance in it. Um, I'm going to mention... From what I remember... I thought it was kind of cool seeing her in the film like Domino, which is like an action type of movie. Uh, Tony oh, Scott yeah. directed it, and I thought that was really cool. She played a woman who was a model and then decided to become a bounty hunter, which 
<laughs> sick. That's dope. That's great. And Tony Scott, right. I mean, the energy was very high there. And then, oh God, the honorable mentions Slim Pickens, unfortunately. Um, I even thought I thought she was quite good in Boston Strangler, which came out. What, I I, years I, ago? I haven't seen that. I love Boston. I love Boston, but I just I just haven't seen that. Does she have a Boston accent in that movie? I honestly God, now I'm trying to remember if she does. I think she has a little bit of one. Oh God, I'm um, so curious to hear how she does one. That's a very right. hard accent to pull off too. It's um, it, it was fun to see her in something that's obviously still a period film, but a bit later. Um, and to see her do that sort of journalism, try and figure out the story type of thing. Right, right. And then I guess my last honorable mention is another film that I haven't seen in a very long time. It's actually a film directed by David Cronenberg called The Dangerous Method, which co-stars mm. Michael Fassbender and Viggo Mortensen, two actors that I love to pieces. I yeah. love both of them. Uh, it's a 99-minute film. It's a thriller. Um, if you're into David Cronenberg, it's definitely a must-watch. Um, it's not mm -hmm. one of his best films, though, I'll, I'll admit that. But <laughs> it is cool to see Karen Knightley in a film like this work with these two powerhouse actors. I mean, Michael Fassbender, this was very early in his career. And obviously, Viggo Mortensen is someone who was established at that point. So, uh, yeah, definitely worth watching and worth checking out. And then I wanted to pull up um some of the films that she has coming out Ooh, okay so, i'm very curious to hear your thoughts on this if there are any films coming out i'm sure she has okay. a couple yeah I'm sure she has a couple coming out let's see Kieran knightley upcoming films okay so she does not have any upcoming films oh <gasps> uh, that's interesting um i wonder i know that um she has talked about that she you know, did struggle some, um, with like anxiety and panic attacks and stuff. Um, she, you know, has said largely from a result of becoming so famous at so young of an age. Um, and I think I'm trying to remember when she had, yeah, she's got daughters who were born in 2015 and 2019. So I wonder if she sort of is taking a little bit of a step back until they're a bit older. Um, because I know she she seems like a very involved mom, and and that can be really difficult when you're away from home for a long time. Yeah, it seems like um, the amount of films she's that she's pumped out these last few years have been pretty small. Um, mm -hmm. And you know, you brought up before, and I just want to say this: uh, you brought up that Nutcracker movie earlier, to where it was kind of <laughs> akin to Helena Bomb Carter as Bellatrix. I would say it was more akin to Helena Bomb Carter and Alice in Wonderland because it was so over the top and ridiculous. Um, I mean, not that Bellatrix wasn't either, but Bellatrix had yeah. some layers. <laughs> I don't, God, no, the Bellatrix in the first movie she appears in is just like you were doing something, Elena. I like it. But I don't know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> but that Nutcracker movie, I started that one night. Oh, my gosh. Shut it off like 20 minutes in. Oh, so I bad. I saw that like in the theater. Um, that was actually, fun fact, I think, one of the first things I ever reviewed for Next Best Picture. Oh, my God. So, it's still somewhere there on the MVP website, I'm sure. That, that movie... Yeah, you want to talk about a movie that was given a lot of money and oh my god god it looked like it was it made sure for, is a movie it sure is a movie it sure <laughs> is a movie that's for sure um but to yep. before we close out the episode it's time for our very fun game 
So I like okay. to ask these people, like usually the old question was, if you could have dinner with a character, what would you be? But I changed up the question yeah. to, okay. what is a director, who is a director that you want Kira Knightley to work with that she hasn't worked with? And what's a genre that you want to see her tackle that she hasn't done yet? Ooh, okay. That's quite fun. Um, let me think about this. I mean, obviously, I I said I would love to see her sort of return to dark comedy and work with Martin McDonough. Um, I also, because she's our period drama girl, I always am asking for an actor <laughs> to be in one of Kenneth Branagh's Poirot movies. I think she would be really great at that. And I, I don't think she's done a murder mystery. And I think that would be very fun to see her do. Um, I'm trying to think what are other genres. The thing with Kira Knightley is that she's she's done most genres. I feel like she's she sort of has has that handled. But I would really like to see her do more of a proper rom com, like a modern set rom com. And I'd love to see her work with a director like I don't know, somebody like Celine Song that I think one of the things that I really love about Past Lives is that it has, you know, obviously it's it's a modern set movie, but it has this sort of feel to it where it doesn't feel too entrenched in the year that it was made. It feels like, you know, in 20 years, it won't feel dated. And, and I feel like that sort of modern story would suit Kira well. Um, and, and I also think we need more rom-coms with, characters who aren't in their 20s or early 30s you know she's what like 38 now Mm -hmm. so uh i'd love to see her sort of you know do do something like that with with a director like celine song yeah uh it's so funny that you bring that up because today they just announced who's going to be in celine song's sophomore film and as much as i love dakota johnson i actually really like dakota johnson i saw some tweets before being like can we stop casting dakota johnson in romances (laughs) shut up (laughs) Give Dakota Johnson yeah. anything that she wants. She can do whatever she wants. Um, yeah. But imagine Kira Knightley in a film like that. That would be really, oh. really interesting. Imagine her. And I, I don't know what this film is going to be about. I don't know if it's a love triangle or whatever. But if it's a love triangle, it's a very interesting love triangle between Dakota Johnson, Chris Evans, and Pedro Pascal. I mean, that's it's, it's quite a triangle right there. Yeah. I, if it was Karen Knightley, I wouldn't be able to handle it. Like I wouldn't be able to go see it in public. <laughs> you would need someone to accompany just, you. Just, you would, you would need someone to basically screen, carry you to the time. Most of them were, were on screen. Yeah. <laughs> so for me, I'm going to, I'm going to put two directors and everything. Uh, first of okay. all, I'm going to go with a bit of a more modern choice. Um, I'd be curious to see her work with this person because this filmmaker does do comedy and drama. And if given the right script, I think Kira Knightley really pulls off comedy. I'm going to go with Noah Baumbach, something very low key and laid back. <gasps> I think that she would be really great. And I'm also saying that because I'm looking at this giant marriage story thing. That's like to my left. And yeah, um, yeah I, I think it would be really cool be to see great. her in something like, I'm not saying something like Marriage Story, but if it's like a more like woke, like if it's something like a Marriage Story, like the same vibes, that would be really really cool to see Kira Knightley do. Um, Who would she be paired up with? Hell, if you want to be pair, if you want to pair up with Adam Driver, that's totally fine by me. That'd be a very good, interesting oh, pairing. Yeah. 
Um, and then in terms oh, of the, um, I think this would be more in line with what she would do. Obviously, pivotal and period pieces. I think it would be really cool to see her in a very horror-like period piece. And you're not super high on this filmmaker, but you talk about how much you love a particular film from them. I'm going to say Guillermo del Toro. Yeah, I would love to see her work with del Toro. I just, I'm shocked that it hasn't happened yet because, like, I easily could have seen her in a film like Crimson Peak. I think that she, like, I could yeah. see her being in that kind of film. And I know that right now he's gearing up to do a Frankenstein movie. Um, why don't we have uh, Kira Knightley play the bride? Who's playing her? Oh, Mia Doth. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, which which feels a little perfect, but yeah, I'm. And can you imagine the parent of Kira and Daddy Oscar Isaac? Like, I mean, uh, no, I that could actually kill me. So that's who I want to see her do her like marriage story esque Noah Baumbach film. Oh, with. please, please. And then could we just get Noah Baba yeah. to keep doing marriage stories with every male actor that was in the Star Wars sequel trilogy? Yeah. So one of them would be Dom Hall, and then another one would be John Boyega. Yes. <laughs> Who Listen, else? Who I would give anything to see John Boyega in that kind of movie. Oh, so would I. And I, you, um, you would probably pass away if Dom Hall is in something like that as well. I would not survive. <laughs> would not survive it. But yeah, those would be yeah. my picks. And you know, just to close out on this discussion of Keira Knightley, I am a fan. I do love her. And I, even though I have, I wish that she would do a little bit more now as I get older, but I recognize the fact that, you know, things are different now. She was doing a lot for a certain period of time. Like she was doing a lot of projects. I mean, especially like throwing these small projects on top of the Pirates of the Caribbean films. Like she was doing a lot. She didn't really have a lot of time Mm -hmm. to like, breathe and settle down and now that she really is settling down and she has a husband she has a couple of kids and she's you know being a little more selective with her projects i commend her for that and as someone who Mm -hmm. has been a fan of her for the last 20 years i'm glad to see that she is still evolving as a really good actor and i would like to hope that she keeps on going and even if she's selective with her roles i will always be excited to see her attached to any project so what are your final thoughts on Kara knightley Yeah, I love that she is someone who, even though she is sort of the queen of period drama, she also is so willing to step outside the box um, and and do things that aren't that. I am so excited to see where she goes. I really hope that she's not, you know, doesn't end up one of those actresses that we've had who sort of struggle for roles once they reach their 40s um until they sort of reach the the 60s and they get the older woman roles because we know that you know there is still an issue in Hollywood with um frequently especially you know in sort of the romance genre casting like 40 some year old men with 20 year old women as their uh love interest so I really hope that she is able to sort of carve out a career going forward that allows her to to have the personal life that she wants to have and and raise the family the way that she wants to while also taking on projects that she's passionate about um because i think she is the sort of actress who deserves to be able to have that that choice of roles at this point and and um she really i i will always you know i i want to make it through the rest of her filmography at some point I'm chipping away at it. 
Um, and I, I really am always willing to watch anything that she's in just because I know that even if the project is maybe not my favorite movie, um, I'm still going to really admire what she's bringing to the table. Absolutely. Nicole, I'm so glad that I got to have you back on the show. Thank you so much for coming on with me today to talk about the amazing Kara Knightley. Thank you for having me. I always love getting to chat movies with you and it's fun to get to schedule a time to do it so (laughs) of course absolutely and tell the listeners where they can find you online where could they find your work yeah so you can find me on socials um twitter instagram and letterboxd at nicole ackman 16 and you can Find my work over at Awards Watch at FF2 Media, and then also on the um, outlet that I share with Dan Bear and Lex Williams, Culture Cabinet, which is just www.culturecabinet.com. Um, and over there lately, I've been doing a lot of theater reviews, some book reviews, branching out, um, and of course, also writing some film reviews too. So definitely check it out. Listen, I may not read books, but I will happily read book reviews written by my <laughs> friends. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and you guys can follow me on all socials at Brian Suffield. You guys can subscribe to the show on any podcast platform. We have a Twitter and Instagram so you guys can stay up to date what's going on in Film Fragments. Let us know your favorite Karen Knightley films. Tell us what you think of her as a performer and her catalog of work. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode. I really appreciate it. Be on the lookout for more great episodes coming your way. And I will see you guys for the very next episode of Film Fragments. Take care, everybody. <laughs>